0: Good morning. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Another bad one. Another ugly, ugly game. 2 nothing. Toronto Blue Jays loss. That's what twice this year now I've taken my mom to a game and it was just a disaster of a ball game. Happy birthday to my mom, by the way. I don't know if she's listening, but on the odd chance she is. Happy birthday, mom. Uh, Jays lose 2 nothing. They strain 10 runners on base. They go 0 for 8 with runners in scoring position. We're back. We're back there again after the last two games. Bo Bichette, of course, gets two hits because there aren't games that Bo Bichette doesn't get two hits, uh, but up and down the lineup, pretty ineffective executing against Udarvish Darvish and the Padres' bullpen. The Jays have now been shut out five times in the last 23 games. That is a high frequency of getting shut out. They were a league-best 90-plus games without a, without being shut out prior to this little skid. So as much as the wins have been coming, uh, that 8 of 9 stretch feels a little behind us and feels a little too on the nose that the one loss in there was them getting no hit uh, in Detroit. Someone who was there for that is beside me now. It's Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. How are you, buddy? Doing great, Blake. Good to be in here with you
1: talking some Jays. And it is a fun time of year despite the last two games. I, I think it's a time with a lot of intrigue. So lots to get into today.
0: Look, I'm I'm of the mind and this comes mostly from writing about the Raptors over the years, but but certainly doing this show over the last two seasons as well. The ebbs and flows are better for us in media, right? Like if if a team like if the Rays had been that early version of the Rays all season, obviously, that's very cool. It's very exciting. But narratively and talking point wise, it's kind of boring. And if you can be chaotic heading into trade deadline season for us, for the purposes of this hour, that's kind of perfect. It
1: is. And you look at the division as a whole right now, it's getting a little chaotic. I mean, the Rays and Orioles at the top of it, keeping things kind of interesting. The Jays trying to get in there, but not doing themselves any favors against the Padres the last couple of games. Although, like, honestly, the Padres to me, and I know it's only two games, but like, they look way better than the Diamondbacks, for example. Like, they look like a great team.
0: I mean, they, like, Juan Soto, is in the middle of that lineup. Xander Bogarts, Manny Machado, Fernando Tatis Jr. Like, we, you were up there with me as Fernando Tatis Jr. was playing ping pong with us off the 300-level ribbon in batting practice on Monday. Like, this is a dangerous team, even if the bottom of their order is fairly weak, and it's not a bullpen I think anyone really believes in at a high level.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Hater obviously has is great, but beyond that, maybe some question marks. Um, I don't know. I just look at the talent on this team, and I am pretty impressed by it. And even I ran into A.J. Preller, their GM, yesterday. And I kind of asked him, I was like, I didn't know how to phrase it exactly, but I was basically trying to ask the question of, like, why is your team where it is in the standings? And he said he gets asked that question three times a day and doesn't really have an answer.
0: But they're talented, right? Like, yeah. They're a really talented team. And, even with their record, so they're they're four games under 500 right now, they have the third best run differential in the entire National League. And I think that's, like, that's tells you that they are better than what they've played. Their,
1: their record in one-run games, 5-16, they are a better team than what the record would
0: say. They have been a magnified version of what we've talked about being wrong with the Blue Jays all year, where the Jays, you know, it's been a lot of missed opportunities with runners in scoring position, and they've performed well in in tight games, but it's also been a lot of, hey, you got to come back from down 2 nothing and squeak out a 3-2 game. The Padres are an even more extreme version of that, where they are, other than the Kansas City Royals by far the worst hitting team in high leverage spots in the in the league wow and where the jays differ is the jays bullpen is number 2 pitching in high leverage only baltimore's bullpen has been better but san diego's bullpen's also been a disaster there i think they're 6th to last in uh weighted on base average against or ops against in those high leverage spots so similar stories on the hitting side where it's like man there are a lot of good hitters here and they're not coming through but they also have the even if your hitters come through everyone other than josh Hader is liable to blow it for you on the other side
1: yeah that's not fun that is like one of the worst ways to go down as a team is if your bullpen isn't there for you and i I guess that's Probably one of the reasons the Blue Jays are still, despite all the frustrations, 10 games above 500. I mean, as much as, and of course, like we're in this market, we watch this game, this team so closely. And it's a flawed team, like not going to say otherwise. They have their issues for sure, as I'm sure we'll cover. Um, But they've done enough things right. And the bullpen
0: is one of those things they've done right to still be in a good spot. Absolutely. And especially, you know, toward the back end of there, of course, Jimmy Garcia has had some issues this year there. There've been blips recently for a Nate Pearson, but Swanson other than that, like one week where I don't know, he pitched five times in seven days and was on pace to like, I don't know. I think back to the Jesse Carlson days where he pitched so much one year, like his arm fell off Yep. Um, before he could even graduate to a level where he didn't have the pink backpack on. He was out of here. His arm was done. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a- as a group, they've certainly been uh, very effective. One other note, by the way, you mentioned that the chaos in the AL East, your American League East leading Baltimore Orioles. Now, the Rays have lost the top spot in the American League East for the first time. That's right. And,
1: and this is really going to create an interesting dynamic in the next 10-12 days for those two teams especially because they're both so disciplined right? Like you look at their front offices the way that they've generally done things and they are not reckless. I mean that's part of the reason the Rays get to where they are is they sell high on guys they don't get attached to guys they're pretty ruthless and Baltimore in a lot of ways follows that model but someone is going to win this division and it's probably I mean the Jays are in it but it's probably going to be the Rays or the Orioles so who pushes in more? You know who's able to
0: augment their team more um, as this deadline approaches. And the Orioles are obviously flush with depth in the system. They They continue to graduate guys to the highest levels. They've got a guy like Grayson who hasn't been super effective at the major league level, but if you put, I'm not saying they would do this because he's a long-term part of that rotation solution but if you put a guy like that on the table if you put one of these you know kind of guys who feel a little almost superfluous as prospects right now Jordan Westberg for example who's not even getting playing time in their middle infield but is a well-regarded prospect like you can you can they're in an interesting spot where you can offer teams guys who are close to the majors too Oh yeah which is a, a like even if You know, obviously, given a a guy who's in high A and a guy who's in triple A who are both ranked similar, you want the guy who's closer. Of course.
1: Yeah. Those guys have more value. Those guys are more safely projectable. Um, If you're a team looking to capitalize on this trade deadline and and maybe trade away um, a, a, a major league piece that could really impact another team at the major league level, you want something back that
0: you can have in your core for Five six years. Yep. So if you're the Chicago Cubs, you're calling and saying, "Hey, Baltimore, what could we get for Marcus yep. Stroman or something like that?" Where On paper, it's a great fit. It is a it is a great fit. It's uh it's not a fit that I like as someone who is going to talk about the Toronto Blue Jays every day for the next couple months. I don't know that that's uh, that's exactly where you want to see Marcus Stroman yeah. land. Maybe he could
1: stay in the National League. And I've talked to people in the game who don't think the Orioles will add Marcus Stroman, even though, of course, people wonder, right? Like, that's a good fit on paper. But they have been so disciplined as an organization that I think there's some skepticism that they would actually go out and get a rental that costs that much.
0: Yeah, so maybe they're, you know, like the Blue Jays shop a guy with at least one more year of ARB control or contract or something like that. Although those guys are more expensive in prospect terms then. So um, that's a that's a tough one as well. The Jays, by the way, after the loss last night, sit five and a half back in the American League East. Again, the Rays have kind of cratered here a little bit. Still a very good team, but the division is more much more so than we would have anticipated a month ago. The division is up for grabs and the Jays are outside of that picture right now, but five and a half games is not a look. They're closer to the the American league East lead. than the San Diego Padres are to a wild card spot. And that's a Padres team. That's going to be full bore. Pedal to the metal. Um, so we're going to talk a lot of deadline stuff. Ross Atkins spoke yesterday, kind of the unofficial um, pre-trade deadline media availability. Don't bother me again until after the deadline, yeah. kind of thing. Um, we'll get into some of that, um, but let's close the the book on last night's game. Ten left on base, zero for eight with runners in scoring position. Um, not a not a good game offensively for anyone who is not Beau Bichette. And we see we see a couple of key pieces who have been skidding a little bit continue to skid. Um, what you know, you look at these two games in tandem, maybe because they also had issues coming through in big situations on, on Monday's game, even though it didn't really matter as much once the score got where it was. Um, what's front of mind for you when you you look at this lineup and their inability uh, over these last two games, at least because the Arizona series was fine. Um, yeah, it, it feels like we're kind of not back to square one, but we're back to some of the same talking points with this lineup.
1: Yeah, what's front of mind for me is Dalton Varshow. It's mm-hmm. been such a tough month for him. And yesterday struck out each of his times at the plate. So that is concerning for the Jays. I think long-term, you're still really excited about what Dalton Varsho can bring, and you still believe in what he can do. But right now, it's just it's not happening for him. So that's, that's tough for a lineup that needs contributions from some of their, their guys. I don't want to say depth guys, but guys who might hit sixth or seventh. And we've seen that with Kirk now consistently, not only this year, but for the last year, the last calendar year, Alejandro Kirk has really not produced offensively. So that, to me, is where, okay, you're facing a good Padres team. You have, you know, you're not going to have Vlad Jr. hit a home run every single night. Brandon Belt is doing what he can. So there are going to be nights where your top hitters don't produce to the extent that you want. That's when you need someone like a Kirk to run into one and hit a three-run homer or a, a... Dalton Varsho, this would be a great time for him to hit a three run shot. And it just doesn't happen.
0: And not even the homer, but part of the idea of, you know, they didn't come out and say, hey, we want fewer home runs in trading way to Oscar. But and, you know, the Guriel for Varsho swap was actually a power positive swap in terms of profile and projection. But the changes in total were, yes, some of it was about run prevention, but it was also about being able to cobble together runs in different ways. And that has not been the case. You mentioned Varsho. So over his last 23 games, 19 of those starts. So we're looking at a month plus 360 OPS. 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 Not 360 OBP, not 360 slugging. Uh, 360 OPS. He has two doubles and two walks in that stretch. That's it as far as, uh, you know, contributing. And only one stolen base because he he hasn't been on base at all. And do you have the strikeouts there? 30. In how many plate appearances? 77. Yeah, so he's striking out. Like
1: well over 40 of, of the time, like yeah. that's that's way too much, and it's uh yeah. I mean, this is this is a player who, and, and look, you're going to have ups and downs in the course of a season. That's that's part of it. Um, But I think at the same time, this is when I watch a game like that, I don't pin that on Bo Bichette, I don't pin it on Vlad Jr. I just I look at the bottom of the order and I think this would be such a good time to have some of that depth come through, and it just didn't.
0: You don't think we can? I, I can blame a little bit of it on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Not not. Again, obviously, the, the difference between what Vladimir Guerrero Jr. does when things are not going particularly well versus like like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has not had a month where he has a 360 OPS. I understand that. I do feel maybe a little foolish that I, I bit on the pump fake once again of like maybe Vlad's coming coming out of it because he, we had the little flash there. Um, you know, even if you look at I think I think it was like a two week stretch from that Oakland series through to the Arizona series where he homered on, on Friday Friday. Um, and then, yeah, it's kind of gone the other way in the OPS back down to 780 now. Uh, and he's a first baseman. Yeah, it's not it's not good.
1: It's not good. It's not what you want. You look at a guy whose OPS plus has declined from age 22 to age 23 to age 24. That is not the trajectory you want to be going on. You Obviously, even if he had done what he did last year, which is a 134 OPS plus and 32 home runs, that would be a disappointing season considering his potential. Um, and he's falling short of that right now. So I, I think safe to say this has been a disappointing offensive season for Vlad Jr. No question about that. Um, you know, I, I hesitate to pin individual losses on him when, you know, he goes one for four and basically does his, you know, does does something for you at the plate. Um, but that last opportunity when he had a couple runners on and he expands the zone and pops up to second base, it's not what you want to see. Um,
0: but... Yeah, I think there are bigger problems on this team than Vlad Jr. Sure. I'm just, uh, yeah, closing the book on yesterday. Also, it's front of mind for me. So we're going to have Ben Clemens of Fangraphs on the show uh, around 1130. He's got his annual trade value column up at Fangraphs and rolling it out 10 by 10. But guess what? You don't have to wait for the top 10 because there are no Blue Jays in it. So you can uh, you can get your fill there. But uh, to, to spoil a little bit, if you haven't read those articles yet, and, and to tease that conversation with Ben Clemens, Vlad last year was, and this is something Ben Clemens puts together talking to exec. Talking to scouts, looking at the analytics that fan have his own eyes and analytics going into it. Vlad was number nine in the annual trade value column last year. He's down to 35 this year. Still a decent spot. Obviously, you know, the idea of this column is if you put this guy on the market, what could you get? You yeah. could obviously still not that the Jays would consider that. But for the purposes of the exercise, you know, 35 means you're a high number two asset on an average team given that there are 30 teams, but that's a pretty big fall. And Vlad's getting more expensive. Like, as a Super 2 guy, it's particularly notable for him. It it is. I'd put him a little higher
1: than that. I think, um, yeah, I would put him higher. I think he's top 25 in the game. I don't think he's top 10 anymore. I think there was a time, there definitely was a time that he was top 10. He was top 5 for a time. And then that falls as you get a bit more expensive. You lose a bit of team control.
0: Where's Bo on that list? Bo was 20th. So Bo was 21st last year, 20th this year. And if that's actually, you know, it it is better than it sounds going 21 to 20 because we're also one year closer to yeah. free agency. And a big part of this exercise is your contract value and your controllability and stuff like that. So for Bo to maintain and even improve his rating one year closer to free agency is, is a pretty big nod to the last 12 months he's had. Yeah, he's been great. And I think Bo's trade value probably should be ahead of flats at this
1: point, which is not what we thought we'd be saying a couple of years ago. Um, I'm also curious here.
0: Is Shohei on that list? He is. So this is one I I, I want to talk to Ben about. He came in 25th, and the the write-up blurb is basically every league person he ran the list by had some... Di- Shohei shouldn't be on here. Shohei should be first. You yeah. can't even include Shohei in an exercise like this because there's the hitting versus pitching component. There's the... It's a rental component, and no rentals are on that list, right? Yeah, like of course. Like, of this course. is about trade value, and rentals do not have significant value, especially one who's about to make seven bajillion dollars. Yeah. But Shohei is Shohei and there's a huge marketing component, potentially a historic component with the season that he's having. There's a lot that goes into it. There is. I mean, he's obviously not number one. I mean, one should probably be Ali
1: De La Cruz. Um, but, I think that Shohei should be top five, in my opinion. I think you put him too low.
0: But, I mean, this is, I'm not trying to sidetrack your show here. No, buddy. no, it's fine. I, I mean, it's great. We'll we'll build off this with Ben Clevins. <laughs> you can come back at 1130. I know you got to go to the park because you're on the radio broadcast for these <laughs> Maybe games. Maybe top but ten. You should definitely be top ten. All right. um, it's interesting, too. So, like, last year, Juan Soto, he had sixth. And then Juan Soto got dealt. So, we actually now have, like, a very recent vintage of what does a prospect package look like for the number six guy and Soto's come down on the ranking because he hasn't had the greatest of 12 months, but also he's, he is one year closer to, right. you know, one year further down the line. So he's, I think 29th now, but yeah, that's uh we now have a handle on like, Hey, this guy was number six last year. He got an historic prospect package. That's kind of, I, th- I think, we'll ask Ben about it, but it, I, I think it affirms the exercise that, we actually saw what one of those guys got traded for
1: now. Yeah. And it's, it's really cool because last year, no one thought this time, like even July 20th, 2022, no one thought Soto was getting traded. Right. I mean, that was the messaging was the nationals wanted to extend him, making him a part of their long-term core. And then things change. So that's the fun part, right? Like you talk now to people around the game and the thinking is, Oh, it's early teams are figuring it out. There's not really a lot out there. There's not inventory. Too many teams are trying to buy, but the next 12 days, things will change.
0: They certainly will. And, uh, you know, this is also a case where the Jays, it's not just on the Jays, but you look at a series like this weekend against Seattle and Seattle is hanging around the fringes of the, the playoff race five and five and a half back of the wild card right now in a game under 500. You sweep them. Maybe you push one more seller in the market. You You go Mega Man style. You go into Seattle, sweep them and take something with you. On your way out. That's right. I, I think that's a great idea. They may not be selling the
1: Jays merch anymore, but you can just make sure that they're out of the playoff race altogether. A little payback for 2022, potentially. There's still a lot of a lot of work to do before they can do that.
0: And for anyone who didn't see, uh, the Seattle Mariners team shop was originally going to sell Blue Jays merch at their team shop this weekend for all the Jays fans who come down from the, the BC area. Uh, they had players respond on Twitter like, what the heck? I think Paul Sewell was was one of them. Um, and yeah, they are not doing that anymore.
1: Either way, that is such a flex by the Blue Jays. Without even having to really do anything, the Mariners are just scrambling. Like, the Blue Jays aren't touching this at all. It's not like they're trying to sell their own team stuff. But the Mariners are just creating this chaos because they're scared of Blue Jays fans.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a weird one because, like, you can't throw stones too much because we're only, like, a decade removed from the Jays catering to Red Sox and Yankees fans for the big weekends here. And, th- and even Tigers fans, I-, I think at one point when the Jays weren't, you know, if you think back to the era before 2015 kind of picked up, Um, you know, you catered to those fans a little bit. I also, I have some friends who are not hardcore baseball fans. Um, I had some friends in from Vancouver a couple weeks ago, actually. And they, they lamented that, a major league baseball park doesn't have stuff for other teams. Like if you wanted to go and get something for the visiting team, or just like, hey, check out some hats or something like that. Um, I think there are pockets of the J store where there are other team hats, but not many. I think there if, should be.
1: Yeah, I think you should have all thirty hats at least, and then um, you know you're not necessarily gonna gonna you know totally load up on Soto and, and Machado jerseys when the Padres come into town. But I like the idea of at least some representation for all the teams. Money's money. That's right. It's uh, yeah, blue
0: jersey, yellow jersey, the money's green. That's or exactly. I guess not here. For 29 markets, the money's green. Here it's, here, it's, all it's funny color. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's the book on last night. We could, I mean, Brios was really, really solid. I think at this point, Jose Brios just kind of speaks for himself. Six innings, uh, two earned, and even those two earned, walked a batter, hit a batter, double steal. Where yeah, that's probably not on Brios, given the ball was fumbled. Then they unintentionally, intentionally walk Juan Soto and then it's a shattered bat single that scores two where multiple Jays almost get impaled by chunks of the bat. Just a weird one. I thought he danced around that trouble pretty well and overall had a, another really good Jose Burris night. I, I thought he was phenomenal.
1: I actually thought, like, for his line, which was six innings, he allows four hits and four walks and Nine two K- runs. yeah. Nine Ks, yeah. I mean, I actually thought he was better than that, and that's a good line. Like, it's not like he had a bad line it was a quality start, but I, I thought the way, you know, 96 with the sinker against a good lineup, like, he was just... I thought he was really impressive. I thought, to me, this is one of his better starts of the year. And, like, four walks is four walks, but three of them were to want something. Exactly, exactly. And one of them was that intentional walk, and Soto was just so good. Like, historically, like, Barry Bonds' level at discerning balls from strikes. So... Yeah, you walk him. All right. You know, life goes on. I don't think that's a sign that Jose Barrios can't command them all.
0: No, no. It's uh, by the way, he yeah. Nobody has chased pitches out of the zone less than Juan Soto this season. So yeah. in addition to all the power, he is tippy top of the chase rate. List hundredth percentile. It's he's, uh he's it's incredible. Pretty remarkable. Um, okay, we're gonna do a lot of deadline stuff. We're gonna take a early break here just to more logically split up the the topics here. Ross Atkins spoke to media yesterday before the game. Um Mal also also spoke. I, I missed that part of it though. Um was taking my mom out for a birthday dinner Easy before guy. the game. Yeah, yeah. Family first, you know? That's this right. is uh this is how we do it. No, um so Ross Atkins said a lot while saying nothing as Ross Atkins does.
1: And that's to be fair. I mean, you have to kind of decode these things. And it's also like,
0: if you're a GM, do you really want to spell it out for the other 29? I mean, the other 29 teams know though, right? Like, yeah, like think about it. We're going to talk about all these other teams that the Jays could be trading with. And we know we have a sense of with the exception of maybe like the Padres, the Cubs and the Mariners. We have a sense of what most of the teams are probably thinking. It's really, I think sometimes we can
1: overcomplicate things. Like a lot of the time, Teams are buying, they're selling, they're looking for bats, they're looking, everyone's looking for relievers, you know. So it, from that standpoint, it is, it's complicated,
0: but it's simple. It is complicated and simple. It's also a lot of fun. So we're going to take a break. And then it's uh, it's an all-trade deadline, second half of this hour. Ben Nicholson-Smith going to stay in studio with us as J-Stock Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans.
2: The Fan Morning Show with Alish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back. To jay's talk plus uh i'm blake murphy that was a startling one sorry ben nicholson smith still with us in studio here doesn't have headphones in so doesn't know what i'm reacting to off the music you're i know you're not a big music guy but um we got like a double layered music there where there were two songs playing twice wow um, okay yeah, i love bright eyes but I, well, one at a time is uh, is good enough um all right ben ross atkins spoke yesterday you kind of you kind of summed it up before we took a break there that yeah it's it's we tend to make it complicated and it is complicated but it's pretty simple everyone's trying to add uh, particularly a team like the Toronto Blue Jays that's in a wild card spot right now but is five and a half games back of the division and fighting off a number of teams to hold on to that last wild card spot we can go a lot of different ways with this did anything come out of Ross Atkins presser that made you Think differently about how, like, how you've been thinking about the Toronto Blue Jays at the trade deadline.
1: No, I wouldn't say I had a difference in opinion afterwards. Uh, my impression is they're going to look for pitching to round out this pitching staff, and they're going to look for a bat, and that they would prefer for that bat to hit from the right side of the plate. But ultimately, I mean, and we've talked about this too. I mean, it's you just need a good hitter, and um, and partly too, it's it's interesting, like the way Ross Atkins framed it. He was talking about their positions around the diamond and saying that they like someone at every position that they have. They like their internal options around the diamond. So to me, that speaks to you're probably looking at a bench piece, and that's a specific type of player because you don't want to take an everyday player and try to you know, mid-season, mid-stream, have him come into a new environment and start
0: playing three days a week. And it worked with Merrifield last year, but there was an adjustment period. He was very bad at the start, and maybe some of that was he had been the league's Ironman for a couple years before being acquired and then, you know, went to a three-day-a-week role, eventually earned more of the playing time and is now back to an everyday role. But there was an adjustment period for him. Yeah, exactly. So that's the sort of thing that Jays have to consider here. Now, end of the day,
1: you acquire a really good player. You can make the pieces fit. That would be an awesome problem for John Schneider to have. Um, so you just need to get the talent. But, yeah, I think that they're they're going to be active. They're going to be in buy mode. Ross Atkins spoke with a, a sense of, I don't want to say urgency, but, you know, clear uh, motivation to add to this roster that needs it. And we've all seen this team play this year. Um, their pitching has actually been pretty good, but we all know the questions exist in the rotation. So you're going to do your diligence there and see if there's a fit. I think, too, for the Jays, it's a good thing the deadline isn't today because the next 10 days can give them a lot of information about everyone from Ryu to Gosman to Manoa,
0: and then that can inform how they approach the starting market. And Gosman, by the way, if anyone missed the update yesterday, bullpen yesterday went well. We're expecting him to pitch in that Seattle series. How they're exactly going to line up, Kikuchi, Gosman, Manoa, we're not positive on, but it sounded like uh, Gosman full bore. So I want to get back to the pitching in a minute because, like you said, there are still some uncertainties. Um, Even if you know the pieces you have, you don't know when Ryu will be back or how Manoa might respond to another poor start um, what we do know, though, is like th- there is a lot more certainty and offensive stats and and how we feel about offensive players stabilizes a lot quicker than on the pitching side. And so we, we know what this team is offensively to a, a good degree. How much and-, and Ross Atkins said they would have a lean toward a right handed hitter. Now I have and I think I've said this to you. I think we were talking about it at the game the other day, um, but, you know, for lack of a, the uh, rule of five percent where. I will take a guy who's 5% worse at the plate. If it helps with versatility and flexibility and you can better maximize who you're using when, but anything beyond that you start to run the risk of, are you just taking a worse player? How do you feel about that? Or how strongly do you feel that lean should be toward a righty considering the Jays 17th in the league hitting lefties? So that's not bad. That's not bad. It's not
1: good. It's not good. Um, yeah, I think, to me, it's more situational. It's like you have, you know, for example, last night, okay? So you have Dalton Varshow coming up in the ninth inning game on the line. You have Kevin Kiermaier coming up ninth inning game on the line.
0: Sorry, can I can I ask you, what... Why did Jordan Luplo get called up, if not for that situation, to face a tough lefty? To go Espinal and Kirk, two guys with 600 OPSs, when you just called up a guy whose entire utility is hitting lefties? I think it's a fair question. I
1: actually think, though, that I would have gone Espinal and Kirk as well. Really? Yeah, and then I would have pinched run. If Kirk had reached, you obviously pinch run, and then and Luplo's going to play center field at that point, or, or more likely... Uh, left with Varsho, or no Varsho's out Varsho of the was game. out. Yeah, yeah both, center, so,
0: both outfielders were out. So maybe were play even center. Springer plays center.
1: Yeah, uh, for the first time this year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think um, he's the 26th man on the roster. I, I would use your guys who are major league players ahead of the 26th man on the yeah. roster. So I, I personally had no problem with that. But you know, this is this is when you would use that bench bat, right? You have Varsho and Kiermaier coming up. Tough lefty on the mound. That's when you want, let's say, a Tommy Pham.
0: Yeah, and and that's a, an interesting name. There are a handful of, of interesting names who hit from the right side. There are some—I mean, there are interesting names who hit from the left side. But it's it starts to get a little more difficult to find. You know, where would you use that guy situationally? Because you already, you know, already against a left-handed starter, you have you you have at least one lefty in the lineup. Um, so okay, so here's here's the other question that can flow from what Ross Atkins said. So the first one is, yeah, there's a lean toward a right-handed guy. And yeah, he also said there's a lean toward a veteran guy, but we, I think we kind of expect that when you're in win now mode and, yeah. um, you know, you're headed to a playoff race and things like that. You're not going to add a rookie. Yeah. Also yeah. the price tag to add a, a good rookie is, yeah. is astronomical. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing we could take from it. The other was he mentioned, you know, yeah, we like everyone that we have at, at every position and that gives the impression that maybe they're going to upgrade the, the bench, right? Maybe it's the. Maybe you look at this and you want to frame it as well. If we could upgrade the Jordan Luplo, Ernie Clement, Nathan Lucas spot. However, if you upgrade or add somewhere else, there is a cascading effect to this, right? Let's say, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm using it just for an example. But they look at Dalton Varsho's performance at the plate over the last month and they're like, geez, we really don't want to have to use that bat every day. So you get either a left fielder, who bumps Whitmerfield back to second base on a more full-time basis, or you get a second baseman that bumps Whitmerfield to left field, and and that person hits right-handed. The cascading effect is, well, not only have you upgraded that Varsho spot On more days, you have also minimized the need to use, say, Santiago Espinon, who hasn't been particularly effective this year. And by doing that, you have upgraded the Jordan Luplo spot because Dalton Varsha is now available off the bench more. So this is where I understand the framing of we don't want to take from this roster. We like who we have. So that gives the impression you're just upgrading bench pieces. But you upgrade a main piece. There is a cascading effect that by by nature, also upgrades your bench pieces.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you're the Blue Jays, regardless of what they say publicly, like the best case scenario is, you know, you add a really, really good player. The Shohei. best case scenario is you add Shohei Otani. I don't think that's going to happen. But, you know, you want to add as as high end as possible. I think in the meantime, from a messaging standpoint, it kind of makes sense. And this is where we get to reading between the lines. But for Ross Atkins, A, he doesn't want the players in the room to hear We actually don't believe in our guys. You know, we need to get a starter ASAP. We'd love
0: a left fielder who doesn't have a 360 OPS over the last month. You don't want him to say that publicly, no.
1: So because it, you know, what's that going to do for the confidence of the players? Of course, um, you're you're going to say we believe in these guys. We think they're really good. We want to supplement. And also around the league, if you go out there and you say we absolutely need to upgrade this roster, our team is not good enough. Well, the other GMs are going to say, all right, the Jays are really intent on doing something we can probably get an extra prospect out of them.
0: Yeah, and this this organization has not been afraid to put multiple prospects in deals, but they haven't with the exception of Gabriel Moreno, they haven't really dealt the top top prospects. It's been like, hey, you can have a I mean, I I, I guess that's not entirely true because Austin Martin was a big prospect Gunner at the Holcomb. time. Yeah. They've dealt a lot. They have. And it's like, it's guys who almost immediately became like, not non-prospects, but like, kind of when was the last time you heard Austin Martin's name? Well, and, and even with or Jordan
1: Groshans, right? Jordan Groshans, right? Yeah. I don't think you're regretting that trade. The Jays have been really good at trading. They have done a really good job. And I think the Diamondbacks thing, you know, you can debate that one. It's not looking good right now, the way Dalton Varsha is hitting, obviously, but there's a long way to go there. The, the issue with the Blue Jays has been developmentally. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just they don't have enough um, coming up. It would be great if they had some young pitching available in the minor leagues, young starting pitching that you felt confident about. That to me is the whole. Their trading has been really good.
0: Yeah. And Gabriel Moreno has, you know, come down to earth pretty dramatically after his hot start. Lourdes Gurriel, of course, as well. Now, that I think that that's a trade where you can still hope those guys work out. Like you can, that can be a win-win trade down the line. And honestly. I don't think people would be looking at Moreno's stat line all that often and his defensive Kirk were hitting. So, um, you know, the fact that Moreno's down to an 86 WRC plus, but still hitting better than Alejandro Kirk is uh, it. That's the troubling element of that. But I think everyone can understand that trade still. So they, they have been fairly sharp. They have been willing to put guys uh, prospects in. Um, you know, we've seen some movement in the minor leagues the last little bit. This is kind of the time of year because you're going to see now the new draft picks, Come in at some point and you clear up spots, you shuffle guys around. Or Elvis just got promoted to uh triple A. Your boy Davis Schneider still right. still what are these, he's got 17 home runs down there now. 18. 18? Keep counting him. Yeah, yeah. He's,
1: watch out because he's a name to watch. You know, it wouldn't be a, a stunning turn of events if other teams around the league look at him and, and say, this guy could be pretty interesting. And if not, then I think the Jays uh would probably see him in the majors at some point. And there, there
0: is a thin band there where being close to the majors but not quite ready yet actually helps your value because David Schneider doesn't require a 40-man spot. Not yeah. He's not on the 40-man. So if you're a team, is if you are, you know, yeah. if we're looking at, for lack of a better term, like win-win now trades where, you know, you're thinking similarly to the Dodgers trade last year. Part of why you were able to pick Mitch White up is the Dodgers needed a roster spot. And you traded them a pair of prospects for Mitch White and a prospect. And part of the value in Nick Frasso as well. Frasso didn't have a, I mean, there's a lot of value in Nick Frasso until recently. Yeah. Um, but part of it was, yeah, the roster flexibility wise, that, that helps the Dodgers out. So a David Schneider type who doesn't require that spot can be a helpful flexibility
1: piece. That's a great point. And they, uh, from what I understand, they considered David Schneider for the call up for the luplo spot. That he was in that in that mix. Um, Luplo obviously added to the 40 man, but you're right by keeping Schneider off the 40 man, then any team, regardless of how clogged up their own 40 man is, they could acquire him and know that he's pretty close to major league ready.
0: Yeah. And the, uh, the corresponding move again, for anyone who didn't see Simber hit the 60 day IL, he's still not even throwing. He's down in Dunedin. I, I think maybe we're at the, I mean, performance wise, he wasn't making a playoff roster anyway, but oh, we, we, we're we probably not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're proceeding as if Adam Simber is not a factor for this bullpen, right? Oh, yeah, 100%. Okay, uh, before we move over to the pitching side, you mentioned Tommy Pham. Are there any other names that have kind of, I, I know you do the, hey, let's filter some fan graph stuff. Let's see who might be available. Let's, uh, you know, filter out the good teams. Is anyone front of mind for you right now beyond, to- or is Pham top of your list? Yeah, he's top. He's the number one fit because I think from a performance standpoint, role
1: standpoint, um, cost, both, you know, financially and as far as prospects, I think he's the number one fit. Um beyond that, I think Marcana makes some sense. Mm-hmm. Andrew McCutcheon would probably be
0: pretty high for me. Um He's throwing a David Bednar in that deal too. <laughs> I know he's still a minimum guy. So this is well, we could talk about this relievers, but the issue with some good young relievers, or not even young in Bednar's case, but like the controllability is for these cheap teams uh, an attractive thing.
1: Yeah, I, yeah. I mean he'd be great. He'd be great, probably more than a throw in. Um, but I think McCutcheon would probably be toward the top of my list as well. Um, I think Jerkson Profar is another interesting one. Mm-hmm. Ramon Loriano is an un- another one that I would keep an eye on. Has he started hitting or is he still pretty... Uh, uh, well, he was injured yeah. um, as of a couple of weeks ago, so he would have to come back, and it would be a bit of a leap of faith. Yes. Um, and he, then, uh,
0: yeah, the latest update on him was he had uh, two hits and three walks at AAA yesterday. So That's a good sign. So yeah, That's is exactly the kind of guy that you could go
1: after. Um, and then I thought Adam Duvall, but the Red Sox are playing better. So mm-hmm. cross him off. Um, but, you know, I think that's the general mold of player. I mean, the Jays farm system, you could trade a Zulueta, for example. Maybe you'd get some interest in a Semro Bears. We'll see. Both those guys were at the Futures game. Um, I don't think you're trading a Ralphus. I mean, Tiedemann, obviously, you're not trading um, because, A, he's important to your franchise. B, he's been hurt. Yeah. Just, you can't do it. Um, Barger, I don't think, moves. So, I, I just, I think you're looking, you know, maybe a bit further down the organization. Sometimes beauty is in the eye of the beholder for these things, too, where it's maybe a prospect who's really low in the minors.
0: Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, the Jays do get more interesting, the lower in the minors you go. I think that's true for a lot of teams. Cause you can just kind of, this guy could be anything, even a boat um, when they're in the lower minors, but the Vancouver Canadians team at high A is putting together like a special season where a lot of guys are, are playing well. I don't know how many are getting on the firmly on the actual prospect radar, but look, teams look at more than the top 100 prospects, right? They are looking at depth of system and, and Hey, maybe, Maybe instead of a guy who's, you know, fifth in the system, it's better to take seven, eight, nine.
1: Well, it's the best organizations are really good at identifying guys who are far away from the major leagues, mm-hmm. and the Astros do that. The Rays do that. Junior
0: Caminero now up to like the uh, the number two prospect in Baseball America's latest thing was a forty man deal throw in initially in a deal with Cleveland. That's how it works a lot of the time, where you know you can
1: it, it, the teams that are good at identifying these skills really early. Um, you find the skill before you find the numbers, before you find the the production. And so um, this is where, you know, from the outside, it's actually kind of hard to assess these deals if it's someone who's pretty distant from the major leagues. But, you know, even it, it ties into the Blue Jays selecting a 17-year-old shortstop first in the draft, right? Mm-hmm. Like, they're identifying skills. It's obviously not production where he's, you know, winning the Triple Crown in the SEC the way Brent Rooker did. There's another name for you, by mm-hmm. the way. Um, right-handed bat the Jays could look at. But, you know, when you draft Brent Rooker, you you kind of know what you're getting. Like, he's performing at a high level. When you draft Arjun Namala, you don't really know from a performance standpoint because he's 17, but you see the skills.
0: Yeah, and Brent Rooker, yeah. And hey, this front office has a history of trading with Oakland. And winning those trades. Yes. And, and that's a guy where, like, Rooker's such a fascinating guy. And we'll use him as a pivot point to relievers because this comes up with a lot of relievers. Um, now, this comes up with Rooker. This came up when I was looking at Lane Thomas from the Washington Nationals as a potential, you know, outfielder who, who can hit some lefties. These guys who are inexpensive and have team control. But Brent Rooker's about to turn 29. Ha- what is the value? of a guy like that to Oakland. And this is where when you start to look at relievers, obviously the easiest thing is you find a reliever who's making good money on a bad team and you take them on because the paying their salary the rest of the way is a big part of it. But if you want to get to, you know, what this front office likes to do where guys have a little bit more control, the Swanson trade, the Zach pop trade, things like that. um, Even Anthony Bass before that went to hell. um, There is a tough It's tough to value a guy like David Bednar to to go back to the Pittsburgh example where he is almost 29. And if you're the Pirates, it's great that he makes the minimum and he's controllable until 2027. But what are the chances that a relief pitcher is good for another three, four years? And this isn't the best time to sell on him when you're not competitive, right? Like this is where the reliever market is always like I wouldn't have thought Zach Pop was a guy you could pick up as a as a buy now last year at the deadline because – On paper, yeah, he's a minimum and he could be here for a couple years. But relievers, you you maybe just got to sell them when they have value. I think you should. I think, yeah, if you have relievers, you sell them when you can. If
1: you have, and it's it's interesting because on the position player side, taking Lane Thomas as an example, typically if a position player reaches the majors and and achieves a level of success late, then their peak is going to be shorter. Mm -hmm. And the data would bear that out. So, you know, maybe his peak is three, four years. So, Maybe he has five years of control remaining, but he might be a non-tender candidate in four years. So teams value that in. They bake that in. I, you know, No one's giving up the top prospect for Lane Thomas. It's just not going to happen. And, and I think that that is because, it's not because he's not producing now, but it's because if you project him out three, four years, you can have a high degree of confidence that he will be producing at an elite level.
0: No, all you can do is look at that. Hey, he's only making 2 million this year. So less than a million, you're on the hook for the rest of the way here. And then, yeah, you can go through the ARB process with him two more times if you want, but you have to keep in mind, you might pull the shoot on that at some point. I mean, coming off of 2.2 this year and having a good season, he's probably not getting too, too much next year, but that final year of ARB, you're, I mean, and they're going to run into this with Varsho at some point too, who is similarly kind of an overage not prospect at this point, but this is only his third season, really, and he's 27-28 too.
1: Yeah, he gets expensive pretty quick, and this is where, for a team, it's it's kind of cruel, but it's great for a team because you just have these endless kind of club options as long as you don't extend a guy. And for the players, it's really tough. It puts the pressure on them to perform, but that's where there's so much value from a team standpoint in these players who have yet to hit free agency, and that's what the Rays essentially have done year after years. Trade them away when they get too close, and then you have all the control, you have all the flexibility
0: uh, when it comes to the guys who are lower in their careers, not as big names, but they can still produce. Okay, so on that reliever market side, and Bednar is a name, I know you and I kicked him around a bunch last year. There are so many relievers out there. Let's, stay, let's focus on that one because there's still a lot of uncertainty about the starting pitcher stuff. And I think even if they address that, we're probably talking a swingman bulk type, right? Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, because um, there's some
1: different things they could do with the rotation, but you don't need a top-of-the-rotation starter because you have Gosman and Brios and Bassett. So you're actually pretty good. You can roll into a wild-card series with those three. You feel great about that. Um, Now, you want to have some certainty behind that group. Um, Maybe you say Kikuchi ends up in a bullpen role at some point later in the season the way he did last year. His stuff would certainly play in that role, but I don't think you need to be out there targeting top end. You want someone who can maybe shift between um, different roles and different
0: situations. So on the reliever side, and you can include bulk guys, like, you know, a name that I, I've thrown out there a couple times, and he's not having the best of seasons, but Jordan Hicks was a starter last year, and now he's a reliever. You could probably throw him out there for two innings if you needed to. It's it's only been a year, and, and you know, maybe you don't get 102-mile velocity anymore if you do that, but are there any names, whether one-inning or, or multi-inning um, relief guys that that stand out to you? Honestly,
1: not. it's not an area that I've been looking at that that closely, mm-hmm. because... To me, I look at this Blue Jays bullpen and I think it's pretty good. And and not to say that they shouldn't improve upon it because, you know, we've seen Mitch White struggle. He's in their bullpen. So there's still a
0: way to improve. But he's gone soon anyway, right? Like if Ryu's back or, you know, he and we talk about these 40 man massaging moves. I I think he's a candidate for one of them. I I think he is. I
1: think the first one to go is Jay Jackson because he has an option. The second one, you obviously look at Mitch White because of
0: performance. Um, and and after that, it starts to get really hard to improve this bullpen. Because mm-hmm. then you're looking at Nate Pearson's option down, and I know he's had some home run blowups, but for the most part, he's been very good for you. Oh, he's yeah. the next guy with an option,
1: right? And I don't think you want to option Nate Pearson. I think, in fact, you're really comfortable with Nate Pearson pitching in leverage for you in a wild card game. Like, I really think that'll be fine. I mean, it's it's might happen with Swanson and with Meza. Um, You know, obviously, Jordan Romano is going to be in that mix front and center. Um, but I, I just don't think if you're the Jays, that relief is the number, like to me, it's the number two or three priority. Mm-hmm. And I really think the bat is the number one. And then I think there's a pretty big drop off to pitcher. Hmm. Uh,
0: I did find it interesting. I guess the one other thing that Atkins kind of indicated yesterday was he did say, and maybe we go to the rule of 5% again, but yeah, another lefty arm, even though they obviously like Swanson and Richards profiles against lefties as right-handed pitchers um, because of you know the changeup and the splitter respectively. Um, a lefty and you know, I I I look at a team like Miami that they've dealt with before, but has overperformed. And I, I'm curious, Kimming's talked pretty openly about like they they might stick it out because they're eight games over five hundred right now, uh, even with the negative run differential and things like that. But Tanner Scott's a, a guy from the left side who's come to mind a couple times. Oh, yeah. That
1: would be a nice pickup for yeah. sure. I don't see the Marlins uh selling to that extent yeah. um this year. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, an area that would definitely be nice to have. And I think that if you can add, you want to add some sort of arm to this pitching staff uh, because even with Chad Green coming back, even with Ryu coming back, um, I think it
0: makes sense to to add someone. Um, but,
1: like, how would you rank it? Like,
0: Oh, to- I, I would have the relief thing down at the bottom. And part of that is... They they seem to me to be operating as if they think they're going to... Two of Ryu, Manoa, Kikuchi will be solid enough for them to get to the playoffs. And then only one of those guys has to have playoff utility, right? Yeah. I also wonder if internally something that they believe is that, let's say the starting pitching thing works out or a bulk guy gets added who can kind of swing. You say Kikuchi solves the left-handed thing in the bullpen. Exactly. And I think that's
1: definitely been you know, considered internally as it was last year. And,
0: because and to be clear, I don't think that's deserved. I think he's been a good starter, but when you're looking at what's your role in a playoff series, he's not starting a playoff game. So
1: yeah, I, I think, well, maybe he is <laughs> once through the order type if, thing. If you're in the ALCS. You, yeah. You need four starters. So someone's taken that fourth yeah. spot. I, I Trevor Richards, maybe I, I mean, mean, playoff time is peak opener time. Well, exactly. And that's not a bad thing. I mean, it's to go with Richards and Kikuchi and Pearson.
0: I mean, that's totally fine. And, Playoff games become bullpen games pretty quick. Um, Well, You also, you de facto get the extra arm in the pen because you're not carrying five starters, right? One of those guys is a bullpen guy or is left off the roster entirely. I I will throw a name out for you. So here's the simple
1: solution for the Blue Jays. They've solved all their problems right here. Tommy Pham, David Robertson, done. There's your deadline. There you go. With the Mets. Just one trade, one simple trade with the New York Mets. You've got Robertson who slots in and deepens your bullpen. You've got Pham who slots in and helps your roster. Um, and, And the other reason that I think that you need to add a bat is you have some older position players where you run the risk that someone could get injured at Mm -hmm. some point. And furthermore, you know, Brandon Belt's had a great season, not taking anything away from him, but his BABIP is well over 400 for the year. So if that starts to crater, if that starts to fall back a little bit, you want to have an established bat off the bench. You can't trust Kirk at this point to be your everyday DH. You're certainly not going to Jordan Luplo to be your everyday DH. So you want someone that you could count on to
0: get regular at-bats off the bench if anything happens to someone. I think it's the number one need. Fam and Robertson, by the way, uh, make a combined $16 million and are both pending free agents. So um, the prorated amount, you're on the hook for $6.6 million. Uh, if it were another team, I'd say that's probably enough to get them, right, like to yeah. eat seven million. The Mets have more money than God. Uh, I don't know that that moves the needle for them a, a ton, but so send them Zuluetta.
1: sure, and another prospect, and take on the money, and you've made your team. Back. Yeah, there that's, you go. That's my solution. I mean, it's,
0: it might sound boring. I don't know if that sounds boring. I don't think it's sad. a. I mean, you. Kill two birds with one stone. Yeah. It's, it's one trade. And both of those guys are very good with yeah. the roles you would need. Robertson has been unbelievable.
1: He's, he's a really good pitcher. He's, uh, you know, obviously a trade candidate with the Mets disappointing. Um, I, I think just, just make that happen. And then this team's a lot better. Yeah, just do it. Just get
0: it done. Um, okay. So it's also the trade deadline for every other team. Is there anything out there you're particularly interested in? Or, or We mentioned the Stroman and the Orioles fit a little bit. Um, what are you looking at around the rest of the league?
1: Shohei. I think it's it's all Shohei. You know, he you, is you think
0: it's possible they they do it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think it's possible. I mean, if they're around five hundred, they're going to keep him. Um, obviously if they're above five hundred. But, you know, we're still ten games out. So if if they go three and eight between now and the deadline, they will have to listen. And are their next eleven all against the Yankees? Because they might go eleven and zero. Or so <laughs> they could. The Yankees are everyone's cure. Last place in the East, although still well over five hundred, yeah. at fifty and forty-seven. But yeah, I think I think Shohei um, is the center centerpiece of all of this. And I think if you're a team that wants to sign him long-term, you should be motivated to try and get him and just show him, give him a little taste of what your organization is all about, um, including the playoffs. So I think the stakes are incredibly high. Uh and I, I'll be really fascinated there.
0: Who would you like to see obviously we would love to see the Toronto Blue Jays do it. You sell them on this market, you go on a playoff, it'd be, it'd be terrific. Um I've heard the Baltimore Orioles thrown out as a as a not something that might happen, but as a hey, if they were gonna finally push some some chips in Boy, would that put you into national relevancy really, really quickly and make you the most fascinating team in baseball?
1: It would. Um, that would be scary for the Blue Jays, but I don't think they have to worry about that. I don't see Baltimore doing that. I think Texas is a team to watch. Mm. Uh, that's the team that I think would be um, would do it. I think
0: Texas and then the Dodgers, too, are a team to watch. You think the Angels would trade? I know it's not in-city and it's not the rivalry the same way like Yankees and Mets are, but I wonder if optically yeah. it's a tough... Like, they they've... They've handled the Shohei thing as if, at least from a PR side, they don't want to trade him, and there is an optics element to that. Um, But also, if it's the best offer, it's the best offer. And the Dodgers, on top of being very, very good, have, I think, the the number one ranked system in baseball, maybe number two. In Texas, too, right? Do you want to trade him in division? So the
1: simplest is send him to Cincinnati, get him, like, just send him where no one's going to see him. That would be amazing. But, you know, the Reds are not going to do that, I don't think. So, you know, end of the day, I don't think it happens. Like, I think Shohei stays put, but... I, You know, even if there's a 5% chance of acquiring the greatest baseball player ever, then that's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I think if there's any chance whatsoever, and I think if you're the Toronto Blue Jays, I don't know. I'd hand them a list as long as your scorecard there of, <laughs> hey, here's everyone in our system. Take them. Yeah, I mean, they need major
1: league talent back because you can't. Yeah. If you're the Jays, you can't get him with your minor league prospects. No.
0: So, I mean. Manoa. Sure. I mean, Yeah. But, that's, I mean, that's such a fast. Obviously, we're out of time for, for this hour, but that's a fascinating thing to play out too. Is like, what if you put him on the table in, in something like that? I don't think the Angels are doing that trade. No, well, not <laughs> straight up. No, no. but yeah, so it's, you start to sprinkle in more. You do yeah. Manoa plus Vlad. Like, I mean, that's, you know, you <laughs> not for two months, but no. if you got pen to paper, I'd start to, uh, I'd start to think if we go NBA style where there's like always a backroom extension already done. Yeah.
1: Uh, I think that might be tough with Shohei. Yeah. It's, you know, unfortunately, it's not going to happen to the Jays.
0: Yeah. uh, Honestly, for baseball as a whole, probably the coolest thing to play out is the Angels stay hot here a little bit. And we get to see Shohei in the playoffs for the Los Angeles Angels. Jays and Angels first round wild card. Let's make it happen. Shohei's here next weekend, by the
1: way. Yes, uh, exactly. Let's hope they don't trade him before that.
0: Yeah, I would be. I'd be miffed. Um, I think, again, we go Mega Man style and the Jays sweep the angels and Shohei just stays here. You just take his power yeah. and uh, and move on. Pack an
1: extra suitcase, Shohei. Yeah. You might
0: have to stay in Toronto a while. There you go. What a shame that would be. Uh, ben Nicholson-Smith, I know you got to head to the park. You're on the call with Ben Wagner today for that 1 p.m. start. Thanks for taking the time out, man. You got it. Thanks, Blake. Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet, of Sportsnet.ca. Hear him at 1 o'clock with Ben Wagner on the radio call on the Sportsnet radio network it is chris bassett against blake snell blake snell probably probably gonna shove in this one he is a very good left-handed pitcher and the toronto blue jays have not handled those well jordan luplo is up from the minors maybe to help with that we'll see what johnny junta of the gate 14 podcast thinks. Uh, ben clemens of fan joining us in the second hour as well as j stock plus continues on the sports radio network and sports 360 Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays, Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Uh, That is only one version of an Eric Church song playing. Uh, We're joined now by host of the Gate 14 podcast, Johnny Junta. Johnny, what's up, man? How are you?
3: Blake, I'll be honest with you. You knew what you were doing there with the music. That's why you're the best in the business.
0: Uh, you love to see that. Thanks for having me on, Blake. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I- I'm surprised I could book you. You're Johnny Big Time now. You're getting articles <laughs> written about you. Uh, what's up, man? Like, how, I-, I guess uh, not to go like too navel-gazy, but, you know, you guys have had a-, a lot of success this year with Gate 14 podcast. It's getting pretty popular. It's a terrific show. H- how are you feeling about things, you know, midway through year two for you guys?
3: I'm feeling great, man. Just uh, the biggest thing that that I've had to adjust to is dealing with the, uh, the more burner accounts that come at you, the bigger you get. They call me mud boy on the show. I love responding to the hate comments. That's (laughs) the thing I'm going to have to start adjusting to, obviously with how big it's getting. I think I'm doing better. Maybe you could kind of help me out. Maybe you could be my mentor and help me, uh,
0: get out of the mud as they say. Nah, I'm not uh I'm not good at uh at, at uh, avoiding those comments or ignoring those comments either. So, uh you just got to remind yourself, man, it, it's like like obviously I'm a, a wrestling guy and the the opposite like the the best thing is obviously to be loved and get cheered. The opposite of that is not to be booed though, it's to get no response at all. So, consider it uh consider it a win, Johnny. Um not a win either of the games down at Rogers center so far this week, uh, the Jays offense has gone back to being pretty pedestrian over these last two games. The Padres are a team with a couple of really good starters, but one run over the last two games back to the issues with hitting with runners in scoring position. Uh, how are you feeling? And that eight wins in nine game stretch,
3: it feels pretty far behind us already. Does it not? I just, I, I'll say, I'll tell you this, like you see the tweets. I just, I don't get this team, man. I mean, you mash off of guys like Zach Gallen. you sweep the Arizona Diamondbacks, who in my opinion is a substantially better team than the San Diego Padres. Let's be clear here, just a way better team. And then the San Diego Padres come to town, you have an off day. I don't know what happened all this off day. Maybe uh, I don't know what went on there. Then they just forget how to hit them at the last two games. The Jays shouldn't be losing these games. So I know it's baseball and obviously that type of stuff. It's just, it's always, it seems like this, uh, the, the narrative this year is two steps forward or one step forward, two steps back with this team. And that offense yesterday, man, I mean, I know, I know obviously you Darvish is good. It's just like, One run in 18 innings, that's just not going to do it for me. It's not.
0: It's not going to do it for you. It's not going to do it for them. And, and, hey, Blake Snell on the hill today, guess who it's not going to do it against either (laughs) is Blake Snell. Um, So I I do want to get into some of the the individual performances these last couple games. But uh, curious as to your take, in the the late stages here now, Ben Nicholson-Smith was just on, and he disagreed with my take on this one. Maybe you could be the tiebreaker here. But you called Jordan Luplo up from – buffalo i know you're a big jordan luplo guy um and his entire skill set is well he's the guy who can hit lefties for you uh two big plate appearances against a tough lefty and josh Hader, and they go to espadon kirk in those spots were you a little surprised to see that
3: yeah i mean i I guess the to play devil's advocate for ben nicholson smith i mean you did just call the guy up and you just arrived from buffalo at like 3 or 4 p.m right i mean it's tough to just throw a guy in the mix and face josh Hader, but I uh, am uh, no disrespect to Kirky, but Kirky against lefties is terrible this year. I mean, this guy has, I think it's a 600 OPS. I'm not a math guy. I'm not a staff guy, but hmm. 600 OPS against lefties. And you pinch hit Kirky when Luplo could have done what Kirky did I mean, just why not just let your guys go? Like, let the guys play. I mean, Luplo has a history of hitting well against lefties. He's faced Josh Hader before. He knows what he's going to see from Josh Hader. Why just let him rot on the bench there? It's, it, it couldn't get worse than the FF that I saw yesterday. Uh, in that ninth inning, it truly can't. So I, I don't get it. I would have obviously pinched at Lupo. I'm not saying that she's a friend of mine, but it's just tough to watch these at, like these decisions from the management that doesn't seem to be on par with what Ross Atkins wants this team to do. Obviously, you call up Lupo to face lefties. There's a lefty in the game. Obviously, you're down to nothing. Why not let the guy hit against the lefty? I, I don't get it. I don't.
0: Now, at least he's in the lineup today. He's going to start in right field and bat eighth against blake snell uh, another tough lefty and, and again I, I know that you know he, he's a, a pal of yours so there's maybe a little bit of bias here but um when, when you look at you know this opportunity obviously jordan Luplow had like what six plate appearances seven plate appearances earlier in this opportunity Wh- what is your expectation and this doesn't have to be specific to loop it could be nathan lucas or ernie clement or pick your guy who gets called up and is probably only going to play one game in a week I know you played like, w- what is that? Like, what, w- how do we have to change our expectations at a situation like that? I,
3: I think just the biggest thing that the fan base has to understand is like, we have people that are like Luplow sucks. Luplow is like it, a lot of the times you're putting these guys in tough situations. I mean, Luplow had to face Shane McClanahan on a Sunday when he didn't get in that bad for 10 days, had to go up against one of the best lefty, lefty pitchers in baseball. I think if he has competitive at bats, if he can show that at least he can do something, put up like, move runners over, or, like take advantage of this opportunity. He's going to be fine. It's just, um, it's tough when you have guys like Nathan Lucas, who's only at bat or he's had two at bats in what the last two weeks. Like I, I, you're putting these guys in tough situations. And I know, uh, I know it's their bench guys for a reason, but it's, we'll see what happens with the today. I know Blake Snell is a, a, obviously a great pitcher. Uh, I think he's been one of the best left-handed pitchers in baseball this year, but, um, it's, yeah, it, at the end of the day, he's a professional hitter. He has to take advantage of the opportunity he's going to be getting here, and uh, it's going to be a tough challenge, but we'll, I, we'll see what happens. man. I, I just think the fan base has to waver and just not like, have such high expectations for a guy who's literally been facing minor league pitching and then having to face Blake Snell as a Cy Young it, It's going to be tough, but we'll see what happens, man. I mean, that's the beauty, beauty of baseball
0: it is. And yeah, the, the gap between whichever lefties he was facing in triple a nine, 10 OPS, by the way, against lefties in triple a. So whoever he was wow. facing down there, do, doing a good job. Um, but yeah, the, the jump to not only major league pitching, but you know, Cy young candidate, major league pitchings, an abrupt one, uh, Johnny, I, I wonder how much, you know, we're, we're nitpicking here, pinch hit decisions at, at the end of a, a game. And obviously they could have, they could have done their work hitting earlier in the game, but these are spots. These are decisions, whether it's Kirk being used, there or espinal or the Luplo lucas clements of the world we would anticipate that by the trade deadline um there are better options in that spot now you still run into the same issues of spreading plate appearances around and how do you keep everyone ready but how important is it to you between now and the deadline that this team addresses the fact that you don't really trust a lot of their bench pieces right
3: now yeah it's 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 a tough bench to trust and i mean last year i say this all the time on the podcast here it's like Ross Atkins has made decent moves, maybe aside the Mitch White one. But, I mean, let's talk about Whit Merrifield. What an acquisition last year. I mean, this is a guy who's a massive, massive part of this roster. Without Whit Merrifield, you have to slot in Calvin Biggio there every single day. And I think there's going to be a move that happens this year that's like a Whit Merrifield-esque move that no one saw coming at the last minute that Ross Atkins is going to do. Because, let's be clear, it was, I, I don't really remember that well, but what Merrifield wasn't a massive, massive trade target. I don't even think he was really tied to the Jays last year, and the Jays just got a guy like that. So you never know with the trade deadline. I personally want, I know going into it, I want Lane Thomas. That guy rakes. I mean, he's incredible. I don't know what it's going to take. Uh, but personally, Lane Thomas is, like, at the top of my list of guys that I want that can platoon, that could be a massive spot against lefties with a, a, with, for a team that struggles against lefties, so... I personally really want Lane Thomas. Lane. I'd, I'd be all. I'd be
0: awesome. Lane Thomas's name came up a little earlier in the show as well. I threw him out there. He's a guy who, uh, you know, weighted runs created plus of 179 against lefties so far this year. So he's mashed them. 361 batting average. If you prefer to look at batting average, um, you know, and a guy who, yeah, he's cheap. So maybe the Nationals don't mind holding on to him. But he's also almost 28, and you know, guys who who hit their stride late. Probably have shorter peaks. Maybe you want to cash in right now uh, if you are the Nationals. Now, Johnny, when you look ahead to trade deadline and how you feel about we we heard Ross Atkins talk yesterday. Hey, there's a slight lean toward a right handed piece. I think we can all understand that. Um, But he also said, hey, they like who they have in each spot on an everyday basis that, that maybe made it sound like they're looking to address the bench. I'm of the mind. If you add a piece, say Elaine Thomas type uh, Ben Nicholson smith through a Tommy fam with us earlier, that kind of shifts guys into, you know, Dalton Varsho's not playing as much every day. Then Alejandro Kirk has a few fewer DH days and things like that. There's a rolling effect on your, on your lineup. How important is that to you right now? And I guess, what does that tell you about, you know, your confidence in guys like Kirk and Varsha right now?
3: Uh, it's it's really tough to watch Kirkies, uh at bats, and I saw someone tweeted it the other day. I mean, in, in in Kirk's entire career as a whole, he's had two months with really good OPSs and OPS pluses. I mean, I, maybe this is just what he is, but I, it, it's tough to watch his at bath Last year, he was barreling up everything. Uh, obviously, that strikeout rate is still going to always be low. We'll always put the ball in play, but on when you're on a team that is. Obviously, World Series contenders, in my mind, still have the roster to be a World Series contender, have the offense, has everything to be a World Series contender. You can't keep throwing guys out there like Kirk who are just continually struggling the entire season. At some point, you're going to have to implement guys that are giving you a chance to win every single day. Is Kirk great defensively? 100% he is. One of the best. I think he's statistically the best defensive voucher or one of them in baseball. But that, you, can't, you can't have these black holes in the bottom of the lineup like Kirk and Bar show who's been terrible, obviously he'll figure it out soon. I hope, but there's just right now there's it just seems like there's too many black holes in that lineup, and at, sooner than later you're going to have to address that with better bench pieces, more veteran presence like a Whit Merrifield or a Tommy Pham or a Lane Thomas. But yeah, it's just it, it, these Kirk out are really tough to watch, and it's hard to be confident in what he's doing this year because this is just what he is as of right now. And so it's tough to watch.
0: And I think we're starting to, you know, see the Blue Jays lean into that a little bit. Danny Jansen's kind of run with the lion's share of the playing time uh, of late. Now today, uh, a day game after a night game, we're going to see Kirk in there catching Chris Bassett, but um, Jansen has has run with the the playing time a little bit more there. Uh, Johnny, want to swing it to the pitching side? So um, every team and Ross Atkins said this everyone says this, every good team is trying to add additional relief pitching. When you look at the Jays needs, you know, maybe it's more on the hitting side, but on the pitching side, are you looking reliever? Are you looking starter? Are you looking kind of one of those swingy bulk guys? What is your preference on the, the pitching side of things these next 10 days?
3: Uh, For pitching wise, man, I think that's the only area of the team that has been very consistent all year. I think the Jays lead the, or uh, close to the top of the league in quality starts. I think this bullpen's really good, and we're not even talking with a bullpen with Chad Green in it yet. I know there's obviously going to be some regression coming back from Tommy John. I'm just a little bit worried about the starting pitching, man. I mean, these Manoa starts have been tough to watch, uh, and everyone on Blue Jays' Twitter wanted Ryu DFA'd, and I mean, Ryu could potentially be that guy that can take the weight off of Manoa's shoulders when you're throwing Ryu out there every five days if he just gives you five innings and three runs or whatever. I know... um, I know the starting pitching's been, like I said, really good. The Jays have been lucky with the injury bug. They haven't been, I mean, besides Gosman, I guess, the last couple of weeks. But um, I'm, I'd, I'd be more comfortable acquiring like a starting pitcher, maybe like a Jack Flaherty or something along those lines before uh, acquiring a bullpen piece, in my opinion. I, I truly think the bullpen's fine, yeah. um, especially when Chad Green comes back and Zach Pop.
0: And we'll see Zach Pop pitching in AAA right now. He'd been optioned down. Chad Green's expected to get in his first game action this weekend uh, at single-A Dunedin. So he's, you know, that'll start the 30 days on, on his comeback clock as well. Uh, Flaherty, an interesting one from the St. Louis Cardinals, a free agent after the season. And and they've, John Mazzeliak, their GM, has finally conceded that they, they have to sell. Uh, we haven't seen the Cardinals do that before, so who knows what it looks like. Uh, but an interesting name there. They They've got a few interesting names. Um, Johnny, I'm curious. So if, it, say they, they add a, a rotation piece like that, um, obviously you can never have too many starters. These things tend to figure themselves out, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, But in a scenario where, you know, let's say they get a Flaherty or Ryu's really good or something like that. What is your intrigue level with this version of Yusei Kikuchi being used as maybe a multi-inning bullpen guy come playoff time? Now he's been good enough to warrant a starting spot, certainly, uh, but he looked pretty spicy as a reliever last year and his command is much better this time around are you
3: interested to see what that would look like oh that would be i mean let's be clear i truly think kikuchi has some of the best stuff on that staff i mean i I think chris bassett even said it uh, when we had him on he said kikuchi's stuff is insane um him out of his him as a long long reliever a reliever in general would be awesome because then you can just let it eat for an inning or, or two innings and you we haven't been able to see that since last year, and last year he was—he was, I think he was touching 98 out of the bullpen. So, I, I would love to see that, especially with his control issues kind of being solved. Um, and also, if that means that a Jack Flaherty will be here, like a veteran, good arm that could just uh, be thrown into that rotation, I wouldn't hate that at all. I'd love to see uh, you say kind of take a little bit of uh, pressure off of guys in the bullpen. That—that'd yeah, that, be a good option for sure.
0: And you know, it's something that that I th- I'm sure they've they've probably thought about it and looked at it and. You know, while it would be unfortunate to tell Kikuchi you're coming out of the bullpen or coming out of the rotation to move to the bullpen, that's your path to having a roll uh, come playoff time. So obviously we're all we're all focused on the deadline because it's fun and it's deadline time. But these additions are as much about what this roster looks like in the playoffs as it is just getting there. Um, the other big part of the playoffs is everyone, you know, there's more excitement. There's more buzz around the city. Johnny, I think your chances of finding love at the rooftop patio maybe a little better <laughs> in a wild card situation. How much pressure are you feeling for the blue jays to get there for you
3: well listen i'm actually making it very clear uh i'm completely fine with this team tanking for a third wild card hand <laughs> up I mean, you call you can call it loser posting whatever you want i'm fine with this team tanking for a third wild card because they have to go through an absolute gauntlet if they finish first or second in the wild card they'd have to face the orioles and the rays back to back which is in my opinion my personal nightmare uh I love – listen, I think this team is good enough to be hosting a wild-card game this year. Let's be clear here. I mean, this – they're, what, five-and-a-half games back right now mm-hmm. of that top wild-card spot? It's not like it's a crazy reach, and they have a run, I think. there. Some I saw someone tweet it where they're facing teams with a 400 winning percentage over, like, a two-week stretch. So there's definitely the schedule out there. They have the most home games, I believe, left in the American League as of right now. It's The, the path is there. It's just if, if this offense can just show a little bit of consistency – for over two weeks it'd be it's it's easy to get but I'm I'm really convinced at some point I truly do think they're gonna be hosting a wild card game this year. I really do. I really I really I really think they're they're better than a lot of those teams and I it's just the Jays the Jays have been playing honestly not their best baseball and they're in a the wild card spot right now. Imagine once they start clicking and figure it out like we saw the last two weeks.
0: And that stretch of schedule you mentioned uh, where we're about a month away from it. August 25th starts a stretch where you're playing Cleveland who have, have fallen off. And we're hearing from John Morosi that they could put some of their pitchers, including Aaron Savali on the market. You get the Washington Nationals uh, after that, Colorado and Oakland and then Kansas City. So if you can just tread water in this wild card race until the end of August, you're right, Johnny. There's a little bit of a run there, uh, man. Thank you so much for taking the time out for doing this. Keep up the great work at the gate 14 podcast.
3: Thanks for having me, Blake. Keep doing your thing, man. Like I said, it's I'm, I'm on with my hero. So you'd love to hear it. <laughs> I made it. <laughs> you got to, uh, you got to get better heroes,
0: buddy. <laughs> uh, Johnny June's of uh, the gate 14 podcast. Make sure you check them out, uh, on social and that podcast, wherever you get your podcast or YouTube, they, they do the YouTube streams as well. And pivot here. Well, not really a hard pivot. We're just going to take a look at more league-wide stuff here. We got Ben Clemens coming on from Fangraphs. Uh, He has his annual trade value series up at Fangraphs. You don't get the final one until tomorrow, but there are no Blue Jays on the final edition. There are no Jays in the top 10. Uh, So we're going to pick Ben's brain about what that looks like and where certain Jays rank, and and more importantly, I think, where they've moved, where, where the value has increased, where the value has decreased, where the thinking around the league has changed about certain Toronto Blue Jays. Before we take that break, we've got a lineup for today's game. It is a 1 o'clock start. Chris Bassett against Blake Snell. Because it's Blake Snell, a lefty who is very, very tough on le- – I mean, Blake Snell is very, very tough on everybody. Uh, but because of the splits there, the Jays are going with eight righties in that lineup. They'll go Springer with a DH day off the top. Bo Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Matt Chapman, Whit Merrifield in left – Santiago Espinal hitting sixth, then playing second. Alejandro Kirk behind the plate. Danny Jansen caught the last two days. So Kirk gets the Bassett start here. Day game after a night game. Jordan Luplo playing in right field. Uh, this will be his first start since very early in the season. I mentioned to Johnny, he's he's posted a 907 OPS against lefties down at AAA. Big jump from AAA pitching to Blake Snell, but fun to see Luplo in the lineup there as well. The lone lefty in the lineup today, Kevin Kiermaier batting ninth. And playing center field, so uh, Varsho, Biggio, Belt all get days down, as well as Danny Jansen coming off of having caught two in a row. Uh, Blake Snell is filthy. He's coming in with a, a 2.71 ERA. You're going to see him fill the zone uh, with fastballs. He'll mix in curveball, change up slider as well. Um, the curveball and the slider also pitches, by the way, that he's comfortable locating in a couple different spots. Um, obviously. That slider, you're going to throw it differently against righties than you do against lefties. The changeup, he doesn't throw to lefties at all. Um, But, yeah, 95, 96 that he'll locate in a bunch of different spots and three very, very good additional offerings. Uh, He's a tough guy to hit. The Jays will try to do it with a righty heavy lineup. Uh, They'll try to limit this sometimes quiet but on paper dangerous Padres lineup with Chris Bassett. On the Hill. We're gonna take a break. We'll set you up for that game a little bit more. And we'll talk to Ben Clemens of Fangrass about his annual trade value column as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sports at Radio Network and Sports at 360. Smart
2: takes on the biggest
0: stories in sports: the fan
2: drive time with Ben Ennis, Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to JS Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Trade deadline means a lot of things. It means a lot of fun content. It means Ben Nicholson Smith will come in and spend an hour with me. Uh, It means, looking up everyone's fan graphs and baseball savant pages over and over and over again. It also means uh, it's come up a couple times. You just fire up baseball reference and look at the transaction trends. Someone sent me a tweet the, the other day that I sent way back when being upset that Joe Musgrove got traded, like when he was a Blue Jays prospect. Uh, I don't remember being high on Joe Musgrove at the time, but apparently I was. So it's always a good time for that as well. The other thing that trade deadline time means is that at fan graphs, it's time for the annual trade value series uh, last year and this year that's been done by Ben Clemens. He joins us now, Ben, how are you, buddy? How's that thumb feeling? You all right?
2: I'm good. I, uh, I heard it walking my dog. So it's a pretty embarrassing injury.
0: I mean, it's not the most embarrassing. Who was it? Clint Barnes was carrying venison and got hurt a couple years back. There are some, we've had guys trip on sprinklers. There's some weird baseball injuries out there, man. Your, yours is it's up there, but not at the top of the list. I appreciate it. Uh, so Ben, Top of the list, of course, on our list of favorite annual series, uh, your trade value column at Fangraphs. This is the second year you've done it. It's been a Fangraphs staple for about a decade now. For anyone who's looking to check that out, um, number 11, numbers 11 through 20 are up today. You can click through to to see the earlier ones, 21 through 50, as well as the honorable mentions and some of the methodology and things like that. Top 10 and your chat out tomorrow this is your second year being the lead on this for Fangraphs. what what changed this year what what have you thought about there i guess what i'm trying to get is what have you learned now having done this exercise twice and, and what may be shifted in your thinking this year versus last
2: so i'll give you a few things that i've learned because I, I spent a decent chunk of june just trying to make sure that i you know m- learned from my mistakes and not <laughs> that i i'm just changing just for change's sake but i was hoping it'd be better this year than last year um, the, the main thing that I've learned, the more you dig through these is how much one through 50 is a weird way to do it. And tiers is closer to what it's actually like. So when you look through, there's, I came up with 33 guys this year where I'm like, oh yeah, these guys deserve to be in the top 50 and they're like a clear cut above. And then you kind of go down just a step and it's like, oh, there's like 40 guys who are really good. <laughs> so to use a blue Jays example, like I put out Alejandro Kirk in there. And if you thought he was the 40th or 80th best player in baseball, like c- taking contract into account, I wouldn't find either that surprising. And different people I talked to were all over the map. Uh, but if someone said, oh, he's like the 20th best player, I'd be like, no, like that, that's not possible. <laughs> he's not playing well enough to. And I think that's a, that's a real lesson that I've learned is it, it's easy to over obsess about getting all the order right but it's much more important to like get the groupings right. And so I say that's less fun.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned in the article, you know, if you're reading in the, in the thirties, you, you mentioned, Hey, this is kind of where the drop off is. And I, I mean, I've read through all of them, but it was particularly notable because a certain blue Jay fell just on the other side of that cutoff. So it, it is, it is a top 50 list with a couple groups of honorable mention. Um, but it's, you know, you you have to think of it as tiers for anyone who's going to go read those. And, and, yeah, about 33 is where it, it cuts off. The other thing that, that's important to note, and you note this in the intro, is that um, this is not the 50 best players. It's the 50 who you think would fetch the most if their team traded them, and that factors in contract and controllability uh, and things like that. Um, just when you go through the exercise – and maybe this was more last year when you did it for the first time, how big of an adjustment is that factoring in, you know, contract value and and controllability and things like that versus I'd imagine your first pass is like, okay, let's make a big list of all the best players. Um, Just how much does that contract side of it come into uh, come into play here?
2: You know, more than it would if baseball worked the way I wanted it to Um, like quite a bit more. So, one of the things that I generally do in this list, and this was really an eye-opener for me last year, and I've adjusted to it a little bit more this year, is go ask some people on teams, like, what do you think about this? And, you know, like, we, we know enough people from teams that they're not going to go on the record, but they're just going to give us, like, a, hey, this makes sense. Hey, this doesn't make sense. This guy's crazy. <laughs> and, man, if you have a contract that's like $30 million a year, that I guarantee you that half the people I talk to are going to go, oh, oh, man, I don't know. Like it doesn't matter how good you are Um, like Mookie Betts who just fell off the list for me this year, which which is crazy. He's one of the best players in baseball. If, if I were running baseball, Mookie Betts would be one of the most valuable players in baseball. (laughs) But annually when I put him there and you know, two years in a row, I've I've had a bunch of guys who are well-regarded in front offices say, I don't know. Like, I don't know if our team would give up anything for him. We would just go try to sign a free agent. And like, I don't, Really agree with that, like that thinking. I, I think I would prefer to go get Mookie Betts, and so maybe that means he should just be higher on the list, despite the industry being down on large contracts. But it matters a lot, and one thing that matters even more than the money is how long you can have him for. Mm-hmm. So that that makes sense both to me and to the teams. Like you know, Zach Gallin, he's on today's uh, grouping, and he he'll be there for two more years after this year in Arizona, and. That's nice, um, but that's about as high as you can go when you're only around for two years because there are a lot of great players who are going to be around forever. And I guess a good example of this as well. Um, or Bobachet today, today's list, Gallon's on yesterday's, where he is, if he were around on the Jays for five more years after this year, he'd be a top-ten player in terms of value because he's awesome and he's young and he just does it every year. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think he was right around in this spot last year. and He's just performed well enough to keep being valuable, even as there's less controllable time, but that matters more than anything, more than money and I guess less than performance, but it goes performance time on team money and teams really care about that.
0: Yeah. And that's how you end up with Alejandro Kirk still on the list. And I, I want to throw you some quick hitters yeah. on the, uh, on the blue Jays side in a minute here. But um, the, the other thing I was curious about from a process standpoint for you is last year you had Juan Soto sixth. And then Juan Soto gets traded and you see what the return is for a Juan Soto. Um, and obviously there are, you know, there are other trades we can use to kind of give us comparables or or set precedent and things like that. Um, the, the haul that the San Diego Padres gave up for Juan Soto, did that kind of affirm for you what your approach had been last year, where you ranked Juan Soto and how you were trying to work through these exercises?
3: Yeah,
2: um, it did. And, I was higher on some of the prospects than industry consensus that they got and lower on others. But in aggregate, it was a just really big, biggest prospect package we'd seen in recent years kind of return. And that's good because someone who, in he's the first person on the top 10 of this list to get traded, not in me doing it, like in anyone doing it. And generally speaking, teams clutch their bargains. And so it was really good to see like, hey, the people that we think of as, huge deals like go out and get them trade as much as you can to get them they actually are valued that much and i think that that's one thing that i'm trying to do better with on the list this year is like if you have if you're a true guaranteed right now superstar who will be gone soon but not that soon teams will value a lot and that's kind of where the uh the like two years left till free agency but like really st- Star performers come in. I, I think that last year's Soto trade affirmed that that those guys really have value to teams. Maybe not to every team, but enough that you can trade them for a lot.
0: Yeah. Well, this is the other thing is that yeah, the, the you the way you explain the the methodology in the first part every year is necessary because yeah, there are some teams that don't act in their best self interest or some teams that don't want to win right now. So so value is not universally uh, held, but you do a great job laying all of that out and getting us into the ranking. So let's, let's take a look at where some of the blue Jays show up here. And unlike last year, we don't have to wait for the last day to see where the top blue Jay ranks. Cause nobody's in uh, the top 10. They do have three players in your top 50, as well as two honorable mentions in different categories. Um, I actually want to start with one player who was an honorable mention last year. Then the Jays traded for him in Dalton Varsho, and he's not on the list this year. Now, obviously he's having a, a pretty tough year at the plate, but it, this is more as kind of a a level setter for not only guys like Dalton Varsho because I, I think guys of his tier are probably – you know, you said nobody until Juan Soto in ten years of this exercise had been dealt out of the top ten. Well, the Dalton Varsho tier of guys are going to get dealt uh, at the deadline here, so maybe it's helpful for that. Um, but also, just reflecting back on where you had Varsho last year and the Jays giving up their top prospect or, or second top prospect, depending on who you ask, in the system for Dalton Varsho along with Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Did that kind of make sense for you? And where are you on Dalton Varsho right now?
2: Yeah. Um... I actually put him and uh, Gabriel Moreno, you know, he was the guy who got traded for him, in about the same tier of, hey, like, if they turn it on the second half of this year and the first half of next year, they'll be at the back end of this. And that's just, that's kind of the error bars around young players. A lot of Varsha's career is going to be what he does in the next year. Like, that's just going to be a, a huge chunk of his career. And the same was the case last year. And when I was putting together those honor- honorable mentions last year, particularly for young players that have a ton of major league experience. Uh, the thing that I like to do is ask our prospect team, like, Hey, like who's the guy who like, maybe missed on if he hasn't done enough in the majors yet, but who, if he really turns it on this year is going to be in this list next year. And Varsha fit that bill. And I think he still does. If he, you know, like takes a step forward offensively. What The thing that we learned last year that seems to still be true this year is he's a really good defender. And if he can hit, you know, 20, 30% above average, then he's very valuable. I, there's just a lot of those guys where it's like uh, they really need to figure some, if they figure this one thing out, they're on the list. And he's just right in that category right now. You know, if I made the honorable mention to your bigger, I probably would have thrown him in there too as like maybe next year.
0: Yeah. And Hey, this is why it's a, it's a list and it's tears. And there are only so many guys who can be in the top 10, right? If everyone was in there, then it wouldn't be a very valuable uh, exercise. So someone who was on the, I don't even know if it's honorable mention or just like giant shrug emoji, honorable mention. But last year, one of the highest ranking blue Jays on this list was Alec Manoa, who came in at number 19. He is basically an aside in your intro piece and How the heck do you even go through this? Now, that's obviously here in Toronto. We're still trying to figure that out. We're trying to figure out who he is on the mound, how he gets back there. But I'm I'm fascinated to hear what it was like talking to industry people and people from other teams about what do we even make of Alec Manoa right now? Because it's not as if he was good and then, like, bad. It is we there is literally no precedent and baseball is a sport where there is precedent for everything for a guy this young to be number three in the Cy Young and then have to go all the way down to the complex. league, it just hasn't happened. Um, What was the exercise like trying to find a spot for Manoa for you?
2: So I start by taking everybody from last year's list and getting a bunch of projections and things for them and, and looking at what they've done in the last year. And I looked at Manoa and I was just like, uh Oh, now, this is this is going to be a problem. I don't know where in the world I'm going to put him. And I kept getting further into the exercise and kind of putting off, putting an, like an ordinal ranking on him because I just don't know. And it got to the point where I'd done all the cross-checking with my colleagues, but I was telling them all, like, I don't know where I'm going to put Alec Manoa because I like, I just don't know what to think about him. I wouldn't trust a projection system because, like you said, how do you project this? He's He's been, like a Cy Young caliber pitcher and then a complex league pitcher. And there's just no precedent. What I settled on is, look, no one's going to trade for Alec Manoa right now. So like the blue Jays won't trade him. And why would they, they wouldn't get what they think he's like, they wouldn't get what they think he merits. And a team that's trying to make a playoffs right now can't exactly trade for him. He was just all over the place. And so what I decided was he's an honorable mention. In that, like, there's a pretty decent chance that he just figures it out. He's back here next year, but he's not really rankable, and that's kind of what people I talked to said. Uh, one guy I talked to who's a big Alec Manoa fan, and last year I I was really divided between who should I rank higher between Manoa and Shane McClanahan. I put McLan I put Manoa ahead, and yeah, I mean, that looks bad this year. <laughs> that, that doesn't look great, but uh, this guy was a uh, kind of the last person I talked to before I, I ranked them. And I, I asked him about Manoa and he said, well, I don't know, like just wait till next year. And I think that's kind of the vibe is look, it you can't, you can't really project the future very easily because yeah, there's, there's no past precedent. So you kind of hope, and it's just the Jays are going to have to play him until they find out. And if he recovers, and I think people will say, eh, you know, whatever, that was a weird episode and how he's good again, because no one seems like they're out on him. They just seem like they're confused and unwilling to really stick to any hard valuation until he,
0: something. Well, I'll, I'll spin it this way as a as a positive for Blue Jays fans is that the two hardest guys to rank in this exercise were Shohei Otani and Alec Benoa. so they're in that they're in that tier together. Um, I know, sorry, I wanted to stick on Jays, but I know Otani came in at twenty five. I'd imagine it was fairly similar having these conversations with the tone of for very different reasons. How the hell do you even rank this guy?
2: Yeah, um, well, I. This one was much more varied. I think everyone was pretty unanimous in saying Manoa, like, I don't know, man. But I had the you know, the years of control and the the controllable wins above replacement guys say, Oh here, Tony's in your top fifty? And I mean I yeah, <laughs> he is. <laughs> but, but like those teams wouldn't trade for him, you know. The guys who are like, Well, he's only he's only gonna get you three wins above replacement for your team and he's leaving after this year. Well, yeah, then like you won't trade for him. Um and so lots of people were just out, but other people I talked to said, oh man, like maybe, maybe you're too low on him, or how do you even fit him onto a list like this? It's, no one thinks that he's not the best player in baseball. Uh, it's just a matter of how much people think a team would splurge for that, and I think this is one of the harder rankings for front offices to go on the record about, or even just to talk to me about, because they wouldn't be making the decision. I I think their owner would be approving it. Mm -hmm. And it's really going to come down to what owner is like, yes, I need this in my life. Like, let's get him now. So yeah, from a pure, like if baseball was not a game about like fans and stars and marketing and how fun it is to watch players play and how famous they are. If it was just a dollars and cents, like optimizing your long-term wins It's subject to some equation. Yeah, Otani probably belongs lower on this list or off of it. But that's not really what it is. And I think that that made it really hard for the kinds of people I talk to. Like, I'm a pretty analytical guy. Talking to those people, we're all like, man, this, (laughs) this doesn't really fit the equations we use.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a tough one. And even if he had term, the equations don't really, as far as I know, take into account the the fact that a guy is a pitcher and a hitter. That's also a hard thing to yeah. capture. So uh, fascinating guy. So we talked about Manoa sliding off the list, Varsho being a fringe honorable mention or, or last year. Um, and then there, sorry, Kevin Gosman is also an honorable mention as a hey. These are great players, but the contracts are big. There are so as we kind of discussed, the quote unquote surplus value isn't necessarily there, but we all acknowledge that Gosman's a great player. Now, in terms of who actually made the trade value list, there are three Toronto Blue Jays on it. I will spoil for people who haven't read yet, but they should go check it out at Fangraphs and read the blurbs. Alejandro Kirk is at number 39. He was at 27 last year. Bobachet moves from 21 to 20. And the big one, Vlad, who was number nine last year, now down to 35. And if you remember the start of our conversation with Ben here, um, 33 is about where that cutoff is of, you know, unofficially where you go from the high, high value guys to, uh, hey, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I think we can all understand why Vlad drops from the nine spot to lower on this list. It's another season where he hasn't hit particularly well, despite the stat cast numbers and things like that. How much of a factor is it for you as you do this exercise? Also that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a first baseman. And I know when you set it up, you talk about how, you know, slightly above average at a lot of things is a risky profile. And there's also what you call the first base dead zone. There are just some value things working against Vladimir Guerrero jr. Here. Um, was this a tough decision to drop him 25, 30 slots on the list, or was this pretty straightforward for you?
2: So it was not easy because like my brain just says, what are you doing? Like he's a star. Like I watched him in the all-star game. I watched him in the home run derby. He- He's a star, like, like it's pretty clear and he's young and he'll be on the blue Jays for a few years still. Like there's just, there's so many things going his way that like if he broke out next year and was an MVP, I'd be like, ah, man, I saw that coming. Like, of course, he was a great 2021. Like he could do that again. And he's hitting the ball super hard this year. Um, The thing that really, really drove it home for me is at some point I just took a bunch of the offensive players numbers and stripped their names off like doubled them up and like started looking at guys just ignoring almost everything about them except like how well they were hitting and Vlad has hit about as well as Randy Rosarena over the past two years and look that's good that's a that's a nice player no one is like oh man Randy Rosarena he's bad like he's a he's one of the better players on the best team in baseball right now or I guess the second best the Braves are really good but that's just not what he was in my head. And once I kind of said, you really have to care about, at this point, what he's actually done, uh, it just became a little bit easier to say, you know, we've had him really high because the, the potential for just otherworldly offensive value is there. And he's shown it. He's shown that when he has it, when he has it going, he can turn his just tremendous gift into like you know, like an MVP first baseman line into the kind of thing that if you get from your best bat, you're like ecstatic, this is great, this is all I could ask for. He can do that. And so I think for a long time, when he was going to be on the Jays for a long time, he was just immune to going down the list because you always have a shot at that. And you, if you got it, you're going to have it for a long time. The, the combination of we're a little farther from that and you just don't have enough time left has really, uh, has really kind of weighed heavily on my evaluation of him. And yeah, like I think he is better or he's likely to put up a better line than a lot of the players around him over the next two years, but he's going to be gone after two years. He's first base only. And that still matters. Like I know that every team has a DH now, but not every team gets as much by adding Vlad as they would by adding someone who can play a few more positions. A lot of guys have kind of average hitters who play DH. Whereas, a lot of teams are running out bad hitters in the outfield, and so there's just a little bit of a value hit there i I regret like not being not like putting more kind of volatility into my description of these like I think Vlad is one of the most volatile players in the list because if he has this season again next year, like in terms of results, he shouldn't be there like you just there there are first basemen who do that. And if he has 2021, then I'm having way too low. Uh, I mean, obviously, but I think he's very volatile because that time is ticking away quickly on his time with the Blue Jays. And it, it really needs to be high impact for him to be like a super valuable player
0: there's also the element too, because he was a super two, he's already making 14 and a half million. His next two years will be very expensive ones. So compare that to Bo Bichette, who is a little higher on this list this year. He comes in at number 20. He has two more years left as well, but the Jays have already bought out those years for a total of 29.7 million. And I mean, Bo's just ended up as a, as a really solid, solid guy. He actually kind of right after this, this, Callum came out last year. He hit that hot streak and just hasn't really slowed down. I only have you for a, a minute more here, Ben, but Boba um, you know, for a listener who maybe sees a good Boba calendar year, sees him quote unquote, only go from 21 to 20. That's a bigger jump than that might suggest because he is a year closer to free agency, right?
2: Yeah. So I'll just give you a comp for him. Kyle Tucker, same free agency year as Boba went from, like, 11 to 30. and He had a pretty good year, too. Uh We, when we ranked Bichette last year, when I ranked Bichette and talked to everybody about it and came on the show, he was in a bad slump, and it was like, oh, man, he might be too high. And he has really lit the world on fire since then. And, yeah, like, being as valuable as you were after the Jays got all that value. Like, they got him for, like, not very much money to be great for a whole year, and he's still really valuable. Yeah, impressive accomplishment. And, I mean, he just... It's weird, like I it's ugly, I think I wrote that, like it's it's not always pretty, it's it's strange the way that he gets to it. Ah, oh, he took but a walk
0: was... last night. What are you talking about? He finally got one. I saw that. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, yeah, to your point, it's like he doesn't fit the, you know, maybe the mold of, of what we think of as an as a analytical friendly guy. But when you hit 321 and you lead the league in hits, lead the American League in hits anyway for three years in a row, uh, you're going to come out looking pretty good. Uh, we're out of time with you, Ben. I wanted to ask about Kirk going from 27 to 39. I think a lot of Jays fans would have thought he was off the list entirely, uh, but I can't keep you any longer. Thanks so much for taking the time out. Uh, great work as always on this and looking forward to uh, the final part and, uh, and the chat on Fangraphs tomorrow.
2: Uh, thanks for having me on, Blake. Good talking to you as always.
0: Ben Clemens of Fangraphs. Again, you can go check out that trade value series at Fangraphs. It's the headline item there every day this week. Uh, you can see numbers eleven through fifty and some of the honorable mentions up today. And then tomorrow is the top ten, which won't include a Blue Jay, but still fun to look at. Uh, and you know, base baseline set for for. Other things and trades and things like that, uh, as well as the chat Ben always does answering questions about the methodology and what was tough and who said what. Um, it's always one of the. I mean, Fangraphs does a ton of fun live chats, but that's always one of the more uh, revealing and interesting ones of the year. There, so make sure you go uh, check that out. Again, Shett coming in at twenty, Vlad at thirty five, and Alejandro Kirk at thirty nine. Kevin Gosman. And Alec Manoa, honorable mentions for very different reasons. Um, okay. The Toronto Blue Jays have a game to this afternoon. They have a couple games on the weekend, too. And we now know who's going to be starting them. Um, a couple of the beat reporters down at the park passing on that. You say Kikuchi will start Friday. Kevin Gosman will start Saturday. Alec Manoa will start Sunday. So we're in the clear on the Kevin Gosman side of things. He threw a bullpen yesterday. All is well enough that he will get the nod on Saturday. Uh, so, Kikuchi, Gosman, Manoa for that series will tee up that series uh, properly tomorrow. We've got a game to tee up today as well. It's Chris Bassett against Blake Snell. Because Snell is a lefty and he's so difficult on lefties, Jay's going with eight righties in the lineup. We read the lineup out earlier. Show Ali's going to have Jay's talk for you momentarily here. So, you get more of that. Uh, but the headline item there is that Jordan Luplo is going to start in right field. Uh, he is. He's had seven plate appearances at the major league level so far this year. Hitless, uh, but a guy who was OPSing 907 against lefties down in AAA. We'll see if he can get something off Blake Snell, even though that's a big, big jump in quality of competition. Uh, Against Chris Bassett, the Padres are shuffling their lineup up a little bit. Hassan Kim is out of the line. So everyone just slides up a slot. So they'll start Tatis, Soto Machado Bogarts, which is, man, again, every time I see those four guys in a row in the lineup, but you wonder how this team's a couple games below 500. Well, you saw it a little bit yesterday where they only managed to get two across again against Barrios and a strong bullpen day. Jays need one here. You can't come off winning eight of nine and then get swept by a sub 500 team, even if it's a sub 500 team that looks much better than that on paper, especially by the way, as the AL East around you develops in such a way that you really don't want to be sitting there kicking yourself for missed opportunity. The Baltimore Orioles are at the top of that division. Now Uh, the Jays still only five and a half games out. So it could be a real race here down the stretch. Chris Bassett, Blake Snell, 1 PM show Ali is, with you for Jays Talk this next hour. Next, Blair and Barker will have you post-game in their usual 5-7 to seven slot. Ali will fill in that little gap uh, if there is one. Thanks to Ben Nicholson-Smith, Ben Clements, Johnny Junta for coming on. Thanks to Jeff, Lance, and Jennifer. Behind the glass, Jays Talk Plus will be back in its usual 10 a.m. slot tomorrow. We'll tee up the Mariner Series. We'll talk to a couple voices from the Toronto Blue Jays farm system, player, and coach side. Uh, all that's tomorrow on Jays Talk Plus on the Sportsnet Radio Network and sports at 360.